Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Lost in the Groove with your host, Mike and Dave. Today, we'll be talking about life, society, as well as we can make things better, start a new day for a better tomorrow. Let's continue with the intro music so we can start today's podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to Lost in the Groove. Uh, this is season three, episode three, Cannabis Industry, where we were and where we are. Uh, like always, guys, you can check us out on Patreon so you can support our groovy fam at patreon.com slash lost in the groove. Like always, our episodes are sponsored by Anchor. Thank you so much for allowing everybody to find our content. So let's go through introductions like we were a bunch of children or at an AA meeting. So for starters, my name is Dave. My name is Mike. And I am David. So David Pudvin is back as our special guest star for a second episode of Mary Juana. Uh, This is part two of what we discussed last week, which was mainly about cannabis and derivatives. Now we're going to be mainly focusing in the cannabis industry, which David actually has uh, a lot of experience, actually not a lot of knowledge and interest on that. So we're going to pick your brain for about an hour. Mike, you better hold the utensils. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what? You were really helpful. Um, a lot of the information from the last episode that you had provided uh, were incredibly useful to me. And I hope listeners feel the same way, too. So it's really nice to have you on. I, I, put a, I put our email address in the last episode where I told people if they have any questions or they, you know, any medical professionals or any doctors or anyone that needs insight or anything like that, they can contact us directly. Um, you know, again, like the, the whole purpose of this 10 episode season is education. So everybody know what's, knows what's going on, you know, and it's really important that David's been able to give us over that information, not only just for us, but for a lot of people, senior citizens, doctors, cancer patients, you know, patients with severe anxiety as well as other types of illnesses. Uh, this goes on. The list literally, yeah, it does. It goes yeah. on. And, and it's just the bureaucracy, man. This is, this is literally where we as a society always stumble. It's our, it's our Mount Rushmore. It's our Himalayan, you know, Mount Everest. Yeah, it's also crippling. It is crippling, just like a mountain cripples. <laughs> Which they don't ever tell you that. Believe it or not, actually, mountains can decompose. And they can crash. And they can break. They have. Nothing's really stable, if you really think about it. Some things are more stable than others, but nothing's really fully stable. Everything has a new. Or you can build off the shoulders of giants and everybody that is working in the cannabis industry, no matter what they're doing, it's all going towards the production for patients. It gets a a little bit versy. People start to think that everyone's against each other. And in a lot of ways, it is true because there is so much control that takes place. But... Ultimately, 
it's all for the patients, no matter where you're at in the industry. And sometimes people lose focus of that because regular life is a game of money. So correct. And hard to play pretend all the time and to actually be about the patients every single time. Yes. You know, primarily to start this, this to- you know, this podcast, this topic all together from the start. I think the, the most important thing to first focus on is weed tax. You know, I have a primary knowledge of weed tax. Mike also as well. David, you actually work in the industry itself. So I, I kind of put together a little bit of what exactly the weed tax, why it is different. Primarily in your own words, what do you think is the, big, the biggest, there's many problems, the biggest problem with the weed tax right now we have in this country currently? I think the weed tax has been one of the best educational tools that the world could get because those taxes may be high, but it's buying beliefs like people that would never budge before are now seeing the change that can come when it's done correctly and safely for patients. And that's worth doing right. And so even though taxes are high and it's really hard on the cannabis industry and it's really unfair to the people that are having to deal with that. We are buying people's beliefs right now and that's worth it. So do you foresee that uh, there might be some tax reform at some point? I think the current industry means well, but I don't think that the current model of the current industry is what will continue. I think it will be a future more of people providing for each other and learning and recognizing that there are a lot of patients that need cannabis all around us. We just don't understand how to make it palatable and understand to all patients. Yeah, Because, you know, I told this to Mike yesterday is we're, I live in New York. I work for a company out in California. I pay my income tax is is based on the California bracket. And I pay about 13.9% every single week. That's how much I pay on taxes. So, you know, you look at somebody like me, where I'm literally being crippled because of this high tax bracket and and system that we have is that if somebody even wants to add anything on primarily like medicinal healing, like cannabis, how could they add it on when you have the income tax, the federal tax, your social tax, your medical tax, your cannabis tax, your sales tax. And that's just to name a few taxes we all pay every single year. When you compile all of this for someone that's making about $20,000 a year, how could they even possibly afford a normal dosage with this type of system? I understand there's going to be change, but the question is, what can we do now? Because the way that it's going now is not benefiting anyone. Generally, these things do take time, though. I mean, uh, in in the last podcast, uh, David mentioned in great detail just uh, the education barrier, um, the lack of a a good model to educate uh, consumers. And in this podcast, he's saying, well, 
you know, granted these uh, these costs are really high, at least we're able to start converting um, the people into this market, whether they want to be cultivators or, or uh, direct sellers or uh, just people who feel like, hey, it's okay now. It wasn't 40 years ago when I was 20, but it's okay now and I might start using it. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what can we do now? It's, it's a difficult thing. Like, if people understood what they were voting for, that would be helpful. Like California had a great, uh, had a great system. We were in a great position in terms of uh, cannabis uh, laws under the medical system. And unfortunately, uh, somebody with the name of Gavin came along. I mean, you know, people heard that it's becoming legalized and they said, yeah, let's do it. But there's, you know, there was fine print. There always is. And that, that came at a pretty high cost. And I think this is, uh, those are some of the aspects we'll probably jump into in the, uh, in the next hour or so. It's, it's still very, very early. That's probably the best, probably the best outlook is that we're still incredibly early and not even the entire union has um, recreationalized. Um, I think we're at... Even actually, believe it or not, um, majority of states are not even medically legal a lot of states in the south uh believe it or not actually florida was the last state the last known state to allow medical use of cannabis besides that i think we're over half i mean we've been over 25 states for medical at least for the last right i mean it's half compared to but that's the thing is is that in those numbers you still have states that even medical is Not not legal the last last year we did have a bunch of states that were up for legalization as well that got held off and there are multiple states that are like right on that edge so it is coming like inevitably like the story of medical cannabis definitely existing and definitely being a good thing for patients like that story's everywhere it's a matter of these like bubbles in each state and like literally families educating each other. That's the level of like education it takes to swing a vote. Like you actually have to convince those old people who are never going to see cannabis until like one of their grandkids is smoking it. Like there's a lot of people that like cannabis may never enter their bubble in their life. But yeah, it's, um, you know, I was talking about my, about my mom and then also with my grandmother, you know, my grandfather, he can barely walk and she does not want him sitting on a couch or bed the whole day. So she did some research on her own and she was able together with uh, be able to find the right uh, can of, you know, CBD cream to use to be able to get him at least to get out of the house. It, it, it kind of like is so sad because she has to go to other people, you know, family members to get this information and then to like, she has no ease of access to be able to do this for my grandfather. Like there is no like, Oh, senior citizens, here's the book explaining, you know, all the benefits. If you're, you know, retired and what you should be doing moving. Like there is no book that exists. I mean, I know you're working on one to make (laughs) things better for everyone, but before, before I heard that, I mean, there was, there is no, there's, there's no dummies for weed. Yeah. Mike, is there a dummies for weed? Did, did you see it in borders? There, there are, there are great books out there. There really are. Uh, 
The Emperor Wears No Clothes, great book. The Grower's Bible, epic. Like, there are a ton of really good cannabis books out there that have really good education. It's just a matter of making them palatable to people who aren't interested in cannabis. And are, and are going to be receptive to that form of learning, right? I mean, if they're not readers, it's going to be difficult. Some people can consume content a little bit better. And so that would require, a, you know, really good content creation, good video format. Um, what do you think we're, Mike, what, what do you think we're doing right now? I mean, but that's, you know, like I said, that's, you know, books had definitely converted um, probably a small percentage but as we're moving forward, I mean, the, the, the benefit, the, the truth, though, is David has a point. Books do have a benefit over video content. Video content gives you a picture. Books don't. So you can kind of create a mental picture in your brain while reading the book. Right. So I feel like is is, is that so, David, is, is that an important part of this is being able to have that visual in your head? Even if you're not like into the whole industry and you want to like geek out on it, you just kind of want to understand it. Is it important to have your own visual or to have one made up by so a bunch of hippies? Literally. Yeah. I, I, I don't think uh, so. The strategy of education and what it takes to actually kind of like draw people into education is it's going to take everything. Like I, I fully believe that I'm going to release this book and it will become like a model for other books to come. I, I do think that I've written something that is fairly unique in how it educates patients, how to approach cannabis, no matter where they're at. And in the future, when laws change, like my book is for the current environment. And for patients everywhere, like, how do you comprehend cannabis with so much going on legally? Like half the story of cannabis has nothing to do with fucking laws. But here we are spending so much time focusing on like what it takes to get shit to patients. And it's difficult. It's extremely difficult to break through to people and to help them understand why we even need it. Because not everyone has a patient next to them that they realize that could be helped until they're educated on cannabis. It's kind of like, quote unquote, like the cure for cancer in a way. (laughs) Uh, I said, quote unquote, I didn't mean it literally, but that's. I mean, it's at least a, a useful tool that could be incorporated into any sort of recommended treatment to at least consider cannabis is something everyone should be doing. Right. At least an option, not to discount it completely. No. I mean, it's, no. it's for the most part harmless if it's uh, used appropriately and um, grown responsibly. Right. But I mean, a lot of our problems today are going to change with culture too. Like, we, we, we're holding back on a lot because there are a lot of flaws in the current cannabis industry. Oh, yeah. As big, ta- big time. When patients are actually starting to access this and we start to understand this as a culture, 
instead of an alcohol culture looking at weed, that's how a lot of the world looks at cannabis is they're in the alcohol world. They're in drug world. And cannabis is a very different thing than somebody who's looking at it from the medical field. You know, it's funny. I've, I've met many stoners, many tokers and many shroom lovers. And it's weird because they never get to the levels of alcoholics. They can get rowdy, obnoxious, loud, angry, aggressive, violent, never experience any of that. And I say to myself, you know why that is? Is because when you're dealing with medicinal plants, they're not there so that you can be able to drown your feelings or to have something that covers up like, you know, alcohol kids kills your liver, cocaine destroys your heart and your lungs and your esophagus, but they, they like to compare them. They try to remove everything else from like cocaine and cannabis are the same. Why are they the same? They both make you high. You see how I just shredded it down to literally the beer because that's what they do. I'm copying uh, my wonderful Republican and Democratic uh, members in the Senate. God bless all of you. <laughs> They're trying. Everybody's trying something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's not really. They're not the same. And no, uh, they're not. As, as more research continues, we'll, we'll be able to unravel more layers of uh, benefits. Yeah. I mean, David is specifically in an industry where he's attempting to work with patients, get them onboarded correctly and guide them so that they can make better choices. Uh, as we have said in the previous video, uh, the industry is kind of like, you know, here, here you go. Here's some weed, figure it out for yourself. And, uh, that's pretty much it. Come back and buy more. In terms of the taxation aspect of it, I think uh, probably they, you know David says it pretty well though. It's it's a good outlook that uh, the model will change. It's not a perfect model now, but as it evolves, um, they they'll probably have to look at it in a different light and then determine how to proceed from there. But you know we discussed this yesterday. The uh, uh, you were you had mentioned to me, Dave. You know, why would something that is in great abundance be taxed more than something that would have, uh, you know, a, a much narrower production? Uh-huh. I love your answers. Go on. I'm enjoying every moment of this. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, when I thought about it, the, the answer that came to me is just the obvious aspect is that Cannabis is going to be consumed constantly. It's yeah. been a it's a bit, it's been a demand. I compared for, it uh, to you. Remember, you said a comparison of eucalyptus. Remember, I gave yes, that example. That, yes, you did. Well, I mean, I, I thought about it. and I said, chances are it's because cannabis isn't going away anytime soon, and because it's abundant, no. why wouldn't you want to tax something that is abundant? Yeah, where the money machine never stops. Uh, it may be the highest taxation now. But if we look down the road, um, it might get it might get reduced. The chances are never great. I mean, uh, Mike, if you think about how 
uh, government looks at taxation, it's it, it's really where it goes. I'm listening. Yeah, you uh, you were breaking up a little bit. That's that's okay. We uh... yeah, no no worries. I didn't do were as well earlier. Um, our connections aren't great today. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, somebody somebody in NSA is not doing their job. Hey, guy that's sitting by the desk eating a cheeseburger. Can you do something about my connection, please? Hey, hey. Seriously, can you hear me? You know what? It could be because I'm still. It could be because I'm still in the basement of uh, you know, uh, Area 51. So yeah, yeah. Wait, do I hear? Do I hear? Do I hear German shepherds? Mike, Mike, be careful. <laughs> Please be careful, my lord. <laughs> Don't let them chase you. <laughs> uh, one thing, though, I, I'm I'm curious is where I mentioned this yesterday in the fact that. Our tax system is built on percentage. It's not built on numbers. It's built on a percent, on a certain number. So primarily the biggest problem with that is is where if you take a percent and you apply it to, say, a $20,000 annual, a $50,000 annual, a $100,000 annual, the higher you go, the less you get hit. Even though it's more money, but it's less than as if somebody that has a lot less money because they have less money to play with. So kind of looking at this, if we move forward with the same type of system with cannabis, how is it going to make any difference? Because all it's going to do is the numbers are going to be lowered, but it's going to be higher still for someone that makes less money. And then it's not going to be such a big of a deal to somebody that makes a lot more money. You're still running into this problem. Uh, I mean, I... I definitely have some arguments to that. Uh, yes, the the middle class and lower class definitely get taxed incredibly high. And and uh, but if we're talking about W twos strictly, people that earn you know a quarter million dollars a year with the W two get taxed very severely. Uh, they're still employees. They have nothing to write off or very little. Um, so I mean, it's uh, in terms of business expenses. So. Uh, like they do get taxed a lot. The ones that you're thinking of go even beyond that. We're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. They can build their headquarters outside of the country in a, you know, in a region where there is no capital gains or anything like that. For, and for, I, I, under, I understand for, that, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to point out where, even if that's the case, it still doesn't change the fact that our tax system is percentage based, not numbers. Yeah, that my answer to that is simple. You know, a percentage at least can still earn you a shit ton of money as the numbers grow. Like, think about it. Do we think that Congress didn't know what the cannabis industry might look like in terms of numbers? They're like, yeah, this is going to be a fucking, you know, $50 billion annual business in the next year or so. Uh, we're going to use percentages. We're not going to use just numbers. A 10% of that money is insane. So here in California, we've got it as high as 35%. I don't know what it is in New York, and I'm sure it'll vary, but... 58. Uh, that's really insane. And what about Utah, David? Um, I'm not sure, but I know the license is like $100,000 a year. A year? Yeah. It has to be renewed every year. Jesus Christ. They probably made a whole agency just for that alone. They're like, we need to create a new building with See, new employees. 
just yeah, to yeah we we yeah but look look at this so i was watching a video and it turns out the state right above uh <clears throat> california's oregon okay so in the state of oregon the highest license for growing cannabis again there's other things you have to pay for the regulations requirements and all of that you know whatever you want to call it okay anyway so their maximum is about five about five thousand dollars that's the highest it goes up anywhere it actually can be lower it could be about a thousand dollars but mainly it goes up to five thousand now when you look at the state of california it goes up to about seventy seven thousand to nine hundred and five that's the highest the lowest in the state of California is $53,000. That's the lowest. So an alcohol license in Los Angeles will cost you about $1,800. An alcohol license, but cannabis will cost you $77,905. Hemp is $500 in Utah. No kidding. Yeah, you, it's 100000 for THC, but for CBD, it's $500 a year. Wow. That's a huge difference. I mean, it, you know, we're talking about taxation within the country relating to the cannabis industry. I mean, it should be very clear to the three of us, as well as all the listeners, it's just about money. I mean... Oh, of course it is. What do you think? Looking at the comparisons, I mean, $500 for CBD, but, you know, 100K per year that has to be renewed just to be in the cannabis industry. It's they smell the money. They know it's coming. And I have a feeling uh, chances are there's a lot of lobbying behind it, too. If we're thinking about, let's say, the pharmaceutical industry, um, they're going to be lobbying against it and like, hey, we need these guys to get we need to cripple them. We need to slow them down uh, so that we can position ourselves a little bit better to take advantage. Um, we know lo- lobbying happens around everything. Of course. And so if we're to assume that they're doing that, we have a cannabis industry who's lobbying on the other side. Who has more money? The pharmaceutical industry has a lot more money. Mm-hmm. They can throw at this problem and say, like, we need to slow down this process and the participation. You know, there was aspects um, that David talked about last week. There's aspects of things that we have spoken about relating to cannabis and that we would be talking about in the you know next half or so. And it's relating to when David mentioned at some point it should be much more available and it should be uh, a community thing, people growing for each other. I mean, technically, this is how it all began just a few years ago. We, we, I told you I told you this in the 1800s. Uh, you know, you sent me that book earlier, David. I'm going to look through it, too. Uh, in the 1800s, the cannabis industry primarily was kind of like you go to your local farm. So you'd kind of go to your local farm, literally. Like you buy fruits and vegetables, and that's how you bought cannabis. You just went to the farmer, and he he sold you. And then we had a other tax act called the 1937 marijuana tax that eliminated that. So you can no longer go to the farm. They had to be a distributor and then a seller. They had to be you basically buying from the third person. That was an old in 1969. Once it became a substance one uh, drug, but that type of psychology still affects us today. 
and how the system is made up. So a cannabis farm cannot distribute. It can't be a distribution company. A distribution company cannot be, you know, a company that makes products like gummies and oils and so and so on. A seller, that like depends. a dispensary, they cannot be. Sorry, that depends on the state. It does, but primarily the same type of attitude is applied to most states. You still have that. You still have to go through different levels. Florida requires you to do all of it. Oh, wow. So one source for creation, distribution, and retail. And manufacturing. Yeah. Wait, where is this? Florida. Oh, dear God. Of course it's, Flo- of course it's Florida. That's great. That's a, that's a nice monopoly, but uh, only if you can afford to do all three things. Yourself. Yeah, think about, think about I, I was researching, look at the companies that sell cannabis in Florida. They're not mom and pop industries. These are large, large, large companies. Very large. You know, that's why I say there's probably a lot of lobbying behind it to slow down the expansion. If, you know, if you were involved in the last 10 years, you could have been a mom and pop operation. Uh, and then you see these changes happening and say, this is great. That means I can, you know, uh, do this on a much safer legal way. But uh, it, it turns out not to be true. I mean, uh, a, lot of, a lot of small time farmers uh, just got pushed out and most of them went to the illegal market, which is still vastly larger. Um, but relating to, to taxation specifically, um, we, had, we had talked about this in, uh, in one of our meetings and you did say that there's different levels of these taxations, multiple levels, so multiple layers uh, from the manufacturing aspect to the distribution to the retailer and then finally to the actual consumer. Correct. So, you know, we're all paying four layers of additional tax. Correct. That doesn't need to be there. Um, but the same would probably be said on all goods around the country. Uh, I mean, it, it varies. It varies. Yeah, it does. But- it it does vary. Primarily, the biggest difference between cannabis and other industries. I'll talk specifically about food and beverages, because primarily with food and beverages, the companies themselves are the supplier, the manufacturing, the advertisement. Example: This is Coca Cola. They do everything. They deliver. They manufacture. They make everything that they they're producing. So the taxes that you pay on these beverages are low. You know, you're still paying tax, but it's not. It's not cannabis tax. It's not cannabis. It's maybe paying like maybe one or two layers, or maybe just one layer of tax. And I can go through many others, but you really don't see that many things that are produced in this country that have that four layers. It's a lot of tax layers that you're paying for. And so is that what we can expect? What do you think, David? Is that what we can expect for the future business models that uh, the med men of the world will just swallow up all aspects of, um, of cannabis and that way maybe we'll see price reduction with, uh, with less taxation? Yeah, that's kind of the, that is kind of the game right now is some, I think some people are trying to save patients money from avoiding those taxes and some people are charging patients those taxes 
And I do think that people should definitely be paying taxes on the products that they're buying. I think that it can be used for good if it's directed correctly. Right. I think almost cannabis should be almost its own separate entity, similar to churches, except for cannabis should have like, like the government shouldn't be allowed to interfere with it. It should be its own religious entity for what it and what one C three. I mean, I, I kind of understand this kind of philosophy. If you look at the pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical fall under very similarly what David's pointing out, which is where their this government weight is much very much lifted from the pharmaceutical industry for a variety of reasons, research, production, quantity, availability, as well as being able to have those medications available to their customers. So they cannot have that many influences. That's why, believe it or not, pharmaceuticals, they don't deal with the insurance companies. They never deal with the insurance companies. Doctors do. Doctors do. They produce, they do whatever they want. So David's philosophy, if, so, David, if you can try to maybe this is kind of the direction maybe we're going is where the cannabis industry will kind of become the pharmaceutical industry, not as evil as the pharmaceutical industry is, but would kind of have that same kind of bracket that it's the cannabis industry. Everything that's that it's making and it's doing is its own thing. If you want to get into it, like kind of like that doctor philosophy, you can get into it. But it's it's its own protected entity. I'm just repeating. I don't know why, but just keep on repeating. I want to say this is that there's probably a good chance that they're already trying to get their hands in it if they haven't already. I mean, uh, much like how Kratom threatens their business, cannabis probably threatens their business. I mean, wouldn't you agree, David, that um, this is what you've been saying. It's, it's a medicine. It works. More people should have access to it. Um, if we, if we believe that to be true, then they're threatened. I don't think they're afraid of not being able to take it over. I think in the span of 200 years, half of the people today are not going to be alive and the government is still going to exist and will eventually take over the cannabis industry. I, I don't foresee the cannabis industry completely overthrowing the government, especially when the rest of the world starts to figure out like what their cannabis policies will be. Eventually, education is going to win this battle of storytelling of saying that cannabis is bad. Eventually, like that model is no longer just going to be tolerated. The same way that we um, we view, you know, we view illnesses than we did, you know, 100 years ago, like smallpox and chickenpox was deadly. Bronchitis was deadly. Pneumonia was deadly, like all of these things. And then we like we kind of got off that myth of like, oh, if you get this, you're going to die because of the advancements that we have now. So kind of like let that generation kind of like you're saying, like they die out and then the kind of new generation comes in. And it's like, oh, that was the old thinking. We don't think like that anymore. But what, what we're doing today and the purpose to be alive 
is to make sure that story of what should be is true. And it's told in a way that it can't be removed from history because it makes sense. Like, yeah, it, it does take correct education, the right person to say the right thing for it to finally like be allowed. But so far, yeah. that's a hard thing to deliver because most people aren't listening. And when people aren't listening, then you're playing like you're talking to a wall. It, yeah. it, it is a long term game and it's real easy to just go. Oh, what were you saying? Oh, yeah, I'm interested. And it, it's easy to play nice and be a genuinely nice person and not actually take any action to do it, like make any change. It's easy to be complacent. With, with whatever the laws are on taxes, no matter who's being taxed, the patients are paying for it. And if that's the case, who thinks that patients should be paying for that medicine? Right. That's an, that's an agenda that believes that cannabis people should be charged and they should have money taken from their retirement savings because they don't share our beliefs. That's what's ruled this world. Right. That's thousands of years of religion versus thousands of years of oppression around the world. Yeah. This shit ends here, though. The Internet fucks all that up. Like, we're not standing for this shit anymore. Like, nobody wants this shit. Like, nobody wants it. Nobody. Patients are getting fucked up. Like... People's own families are getting fucked up. No matter if you're working in the government or what your job is, like people are living reality. And right now there's a fucking hole in it that needs to get fixed. Yeah, we're going to um, we're going to touch base more on this when we get back. We're going to take a short break. Damn, that's heavy. Oh, my God. Well, joy, our sponsor for today. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right, guys, we are back. Oh, my God, we are so back. And we're here to continue the wonderful topic of how the the uh, the G word. I'm not saying their name, the G word and how they screw us over so beautifully. God bless America. God bless our president. And uh, amen. Yes. All right. So, uh. David, you were talking a little bit about, you know, this is another thing, which is what we wanted to talk about, which is, you know, the rules of wheat growing are we're you're limited. You are limited of what you can do compared to other places like we gave examples. Those limitations, how do they do they look the same for each state or primarily they stay the same for the entire country? They're, they're different per state. Some states, if they have like existing uh, uh, medical markets, recreational markets, depending how long they've been around, if they've been around a long time, then they've expanded their cultivation. If they're new, then they might be starting low because they don't want to go all crazy like Colorado or California or Washington or Oregon. Like it, But those are scare tactics. Those are things that they say to each other to like make each other feel better that they're doing a good thing by holding this back for longer. 
they really, people really believe that like holding back cannabis is like the best thing for the world, but they have no idea what that reality is for patients. They're fighting against like their own families that need this stuff. Like it's not us versus them. It's we're pretty broken right now of compared to like how things could be. Yeah. We're in a weird loop. We are. You know, I think of uh, just my locality, like 2005 to 2010 is when we started seeing an explosion of, uh, of uh, dispensaries, but they were still slow going. Um, it, it wasn't until 2014 where uh, you'd be able to find them in every you know, area, every few blocks, you'd find one. And then by 2015, you were just seeing pop-ups. People were like, you know what? I'm not waiting for a license. I'm just going to go open up somewhere. If I get busted, the federal government's not going to do anything. They just raid you, seize everything. I'm going to move down the street, open up and do it again. And um, to, to like, to the point that you were saying, uh, there are these restrictions in some states and, um, the reason being they look at California or Colorado and say, well, we're not, we don't want to go as crazy as they went with it. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't that cra- I mean, we did eventually get to the point where it was everywhere, just like, just like today, it is pretty much everywhere, but it was slow going uh, legislation passed here in 96. And then it, it took almost 15 years to really proliferate across the state um, where you can find a store pretty much everywhere. And that was under the medical laws. And then eight more years to recreationalize it. Um, but the, the cost to the consumer with medical laws were so much better. Um, other than the obvious reason, I mean, with production, with, with the idea of production, if we can double I mean, do you think that the prices would come down if, if a grower, you've worked with growers before, if a grower could double his yield, why would he want to necessarily lower his price? I mean, he can make twice as much if the demand is still there. Do you have so, any ideas? Yeah, so building, building new clientele and taking care of clientele that currently comes to for business are two different things. If somebody has established clientele and they're not just in it for money, then they can really start taking care of patients. If they can start almost tearing off their patients, if they can grow twice as much and well, now they have extra that they can be giving to certain patients or they can be reducing prices for certain patients. They don't necessarily have to like completely cut their prices down, but they can provide additional medicine to the people who do need it. Because right now, a lot of people are just not affording medicine. I think that's probably the biggest, uh, biggest difference. Like when we talk about it and when you talk about it, we're looking at it as, you know, we see the taxation, we see it as a consumer product, you see it as medicine and medicine for the people. 
and you, and you look at the clientele or the consumers as patients. And um, there, there's a huge difference between the way we are looking at it. Um, that would be the, the most important, I guess, change in the education is uh, can we get more people to understand that it's, it's a patient type of product, not just a consumable. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, there is one thing that does baffle me primarily is we're, you know, you bring up California. I don't want to put the state down, but to be quite honest, California has always shown this attitude where they want to be the most liberal state that ever has existed in human civilization and in millennia. To the point that they always want to be like the the pioneers, the ones that like do it first. I, I, I get like in 1996, they put in that legislation, but I honestly feel like they only did it because like, oh, we get to be one of those states that are like, oh, we're the first ones that did it. You know, like we're proving our liberal blood. No, that's where the G's were at. That's yeah. where the people that knew and believed fully in cannabis like they know that stuff is good for patients. There's a lot of people that like we're running in the black market and there's a ton of people that are just doing like, they're just playing the full money game with it. But the reality of what it is for patients, it is what it is. It's the cannabis industry and it's incredibly good for patients. Uh, in Colorado has a pretty interesting cannabis culture too, that, was another one that started pretty early but same kind of like they had the grateful dead influence was huge in colorado like if you go around restaurants and just kind of like hang out like keep your ear open like people are talking about psychedelics and that's kind of the world at this point as far as yeah, how colorado so this is the interesting thing is when everybody a lot of americans don't know this Colorado was originally founded by actual like workers, miners, builders, uh, farmers, hunters. That's how Colorado was founded. They were the pioneers that came to that part of the United States, and that's where they settled. They've always had this culture. They're miners, pioneers, builders, bounty, you know, like hunters. And that is Colorado culture. We know this. But that's the interesting thing about Colorado. You can't apply them to any other state. They don't fit with any other state because of how they were created from the get-go, from the very beginning. That does need to be understood. I get that whole thing, but it's like they're their, whole, their own thing. Colorado reminds me of the state that's next door to Utah. Like, they act like it. And Utah, the part that's not Mormon, we act like it. And here in Utah, a lot of the like ex-Mormon culture, they love to drink because that's a huge fuck you to the people that were telling them do not drink so strictly and like well-intentioned, but telling and forcing people what to do. It never works. The, the threats, the, the threats, you can't give somebody education and then say, if you don't listen, you're fucked. You got to pay the, basically you got to pay the piper. But um, 
The you know like the the craziest thing is even when cannabis was made illegal after 1969 people were still buying it. People were still and the worst part was is now instead of them buying them from people that are like trying to make a living in this country they were just buying it from Canada, Mexico as well as other places. So all that acted in 1969 was make America lose business. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean, but they probably switched over to something else, right? I mean, 69, it was probably oil that they decided, like, you know, get rid of this and just go full-fledged with this. It wasn't too long after right. that. Right, that, that's what happened, because when we switched, when Nixon, Satan, please take care of him, I beg you. Uh, if, when he changed our currency from the gold standard to fiat currency which we have now one of the standards for american backing was oil because oil is universally traded so if america would have it being sold universally with the dollar that means that we're making money so primarily today the way that fuel is purchased is primarily with the u.s dollar because that's what the biggest trade that america has the interesting thing is maybe david can kind of point out this a little bit more if we take the same philosophy and move away from oil to cannabis, I feel like our inflation would dramatically slow down. God damn, that's a great idea. I mean, we, we already have the whole thing created. We are a fiat currency. We just have to switch the system. It would take about 10, 15 years. And then, and then we become the main distributors of cannabis for the globe. Correct. Which would be great for us, but the reason why that's not a thing is because it's not even just up to us. If we could just turn it on and just start exporting, the U.S. would be all over that. But it's it's like the world works so that that doesn't happen because countries don't want to be extracted from like that. They, they don't want us to dump cannabis on a country even though it would be good for them and it would be access to their patients, it'd be just like the legal industry is doing to patients here, like taxing them. And we would be producing, selling to other countries, medical markets and taxing their patients. So it, I understand that. I understand that. But then how do you explain pharmaceutical industry? Because that's another thing that our currency being fiat is also being traded. Pharmacies. So the largest pharmaceutical companies that we have in the United States are found throughout the globe. Different subsidiaries, different divisions, different names, same name, different brackets. But they were able to do that. And primarily, if you're talking about cannabis, which you keep on saying is medicinal, which I do agree with you. So then if they can do that with the pharmaceutical industry, what's the big problem of just doing that with the cannabis industry? Because the pharmaceutical industry is they like they, they are using pharmaceuticals. They, they've approved them. They're, they're good to use pharmaceuticals on patients and they have good success rates. They or they have like, I don't know about good success rates, but I mean, they 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 utilize pharma as medicine throughout the world and i think that that's great but 
cannabis is a little bit different because everybody's kind of a different state right now. A lot of people are still in bubbles that don't understand it on the like local levels. Right. It's coming back to the understanding that we're still very early and, you know, how long did it take the pharmaceutical world to engulf the rest of the world and to get them on board? I mean, 97, 98 years. Yeah, that's that's medical papers, that's research journals, that's everything, uh, you know, in that century that eventually got everybody on board and agreed that, you know what, this science works for medicine and this is what we'll use as a standard across the, the globe. Um, cannabis is just really early um, and it might be difficult. Anytime you, you know, we talk about cannabis as a medicine or a medical option. I mean, you know, we're, if we were looking at California and them being the first one, you had your varying opinion about it, Dave, um, that they just wanted to be first or we just had the, the funds to do it or the willingness. But I think it just came from a, a, a desire of research from a place of research. Um, and so that's probably where I think legislation came in for this state uh, gave them more access, more funding to research it and see what the medical benefits were. Um, and, you know, years after we started seeing results from that, um, we would probably need just as much uh, from the rest of the entire world, every country having the same willingness to uh, legislate in a way, figure out how they want to study it, research it, uh, and come to their own determinations. Um, to the, to the greater point, though, is trying to understand exactly how patients, as David has spoken about it, like how do we get them properly educated? Um, how do we get them on board? Um, how do we figure out ways to uh, legitimize the industry uh, as a whole and then drive costs back down where it's reasonable? Um, even now, I mean, we think about it, we say to ourselves, man, patients really need cannabis. Um, they use it as medicine and it's incredibly expensive. Well, let's look at the flip side. Let's look at people who are on pharmaceuticals and their insurance companies won't cover something. Well, I mean, for fuck's sake, they pay for insurance, but that company will not buy that drug that could save that person's life. And I've seen many cases like this. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, it's actually funny. It's funny. You're talking about that because I kind of am running into a scenario. Uh, it's weird because I, there's a medication I do need, which is called you And unfortunately I can't afford insurance at the moment right now, but I, I would need to get approval. And there's a chance that if I would get the, that there's a low chance I would get the approval. And if you did, will they pay for it? They don't. You actually have to you have to pay for it, and the problem with it is it's I have a I have a skin disease, and because of this, you know it can get to a point where it's damaged to the point where I'm personally suffering, but I can't do anything about it. I've been dealing with this for eleven years, and it's like this is. This is a reality. Like it's even with the pharmaceutical industry, it's 
Like, how are you supposed to manage to live to 100 if you can't even afford to? Uh, eat better, exercise, all the basic things. Yeah, when you're born with something, it's a little hard. <laughs> it's a little hard to. Yeah, obviously. If it's uh, autoimmune disorders or anything like that, it's very difficult. And it's just, I have many clients like that that suffer. Um, and literally, that's what it is every single day. It's suffering on varying degrees. It's not if you're going to suffer, it's how bad is it going to be today compared yeah. to yesterday. And yeah. I guess that's, again, the broader question is we look at the pharmaceutical industry and that's the the a similar instance, right? It's the, the manufacturing of these drugs, the research that goes behind them, um, uh, putting it all together, putting the data together, developing a product. But to David's point, like weed doesn't fall under that category. It's incredibly no. abundant. It's easily grown. And yet we're still seeing very, very high prices. And the um, question still for uh for all of us will be, will there be some kind of relief down the road? Can we see something that um, can indicate that taxation will ease up and then it can be more affordable? Um, I think even in this state now, I can grow weed if I wanted to. Can't be a whole lot, but for personal use, I could grow it. It's it's a full-time job. It's not easy growing weed. I've done it. No, it's not. But the, the whole I... David pointed this out, and I think this is an important thing to bring out. It's where it no longer becomes, is it bad or is it good? But it becomes a part of a person's community. It does. You know, once we get that idea of it's where, you know, your local, you know, your local farm, they have, they grow cannabis and they make, you know, they have their own little thing that's going on. You know, and now if you live in a rural area and I have a chance of getting cannabis, you know, for example, if an urban city, you might have a neighbor that might be a a botanist or, you know, does floral, might have something growing in their, you know, in their garden and they're selling to their tent, you know, their neighbors in the building. I know this sounds strange, but that's what community is. It's creating something that is part of a community and that is one thing native americans taught about cannabis it becomes a part of your tribe it becomes a part of your community everybody gets to have a part of it and the more that people have where they can grow the little opportunities that can pop up you know the 89 year old woman on the 12th floor or mr and mrs bobsky in uh, rural chittatan uh, nebraska you know on yeah. a 67 acre lot with one little house that's what it becomes so i'd love to meet those people with with your condition does cannabis help at all Hmm? does cannabis help your can the skin condition at all or does it so i have a genetic skin uh, skin disease so it goes according to your genetics so there's really no and the the problem with it is it destroys the skin but um, the only way of stopping it is with that medication. And primarily, you know, you'd need to get, you know, um, plastic surgery or some form afterwards to kind of remove. I'm sorry, this is graphic, but, you know, we're, we're kind of just talking about this anyway. And um, it's something that I've had to process for about 11 years. 
it's hell. So it only manifested physically 11 years ago? It, um, it, it's a disease where it destroys the skin tissue. So it basically um, it, it kind of concaves in one another and forms kind of like um, sometimes forms of like a blood gets stuck. So you kind of have like a, a sharp pain in one area. And if you sit down or move, it's even more painful. Have you tried just, uh, I don't know. So to, to see if you would want to experiment with this, it's entirely up to you. But I know a lot of people who have told me um, they just buy weed. They fill up a, a mason jar full of alcohol, dump the weed in, let it soak. All the cannabinoids get extracted out. And then uh, they'll just use it like a patch, you know, they just kind of put it on and, and then right on to the affected area. Um, whether it's pain or otherwise, it's worked for a lot of people for a very long time. I don't know if this will work for you, but uh, it's an interesting way to get the cannabinoids into that affected area and see if there's any positive change. Yeah. It's a treatment, not, not a cure. And I'm not a doctor, by the way. No, I'm not, I know you're not a doctor. I think uh, it, it, that treatment, not a cure, was really key because with all of cannabis, like, it's all a treatment. It's all an attempt to just, like, try and make something better. If, it, if it's not treating it and it's not making it better... And it then like then you're like looking for other solutions at that point. But making health decisions is a lot like driving past six fast food restaurants on your way to where you're going. Like it's hard to ignore all the quick options that are so readily available, especially when they're cheap. There's yeah, it's it's yeah. There's a lot of you know like one thing um, was where somebody asked me. You know, why specifically I, I've been smoking cannabis for about four years. So I have, I've, I've had really bad anxiety and I had really bad PTSD. So I've had my on and off breaks and it's funny. My dad passed away from COVID last year. Now you'd expect a person that had PTSD before, you'd probably have a lot of episodes. I actually only had two in the entire year and they weren't that severe. And I was just, you know, smoking cannabis within that entire year frame. So I didn't have any severe PTSD attacks. I didn't have any bad anxiety. I took one pill, like, by my dad's funeral, and that was it. I was fine. Now, I'm again, I'm no doctor. Mike said, you know, he's no doctor either. But I'm just telling you that people are, like, antidepressant. I think they do more harm than good. And I feel like people realize you can figure out a way of using cannabis. So you're not in that zone. You could do it at night or, you know, if you feel more comfortable, you could do it in the morning. You can kind of be able to create that regimen. But there are alternatives to these types of like I gave one example, antidepressants or other ones. There are healthier alternatives. It's yeah, just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good way of looking at it. I mean, um, when you say antidepressants, not necessarily the best choice. 
you know, the way I look at anything like that is the understanding that something chemically is being altered in your brain, right? I mean, you're not feeling great. You need something to feel better or something to help you get through the day or improve your mood or whatever it may be. I mean, that's a, that's a chemical. How many people would be comfortable if they understood the depth of, you know, how far something like that? Uh, Mike, Mike, are they coming Um, after you? I hear, I hear sirens. Mike, are you there? (laughs) Did they get you? Oh no, they got Mike. Oh God damn it. Please Lord, please don't hurt him. Mike. Wait. Wait, David, we got to hear, wait for the signal of life. <laughs> I feel like. Maybe just wave to him. Maybe he'll come back. It's not happening. No, they took him. <laughs> See, I told him gun at Area 51 was not a good idea. And he's like, no, man, I got to get the drive. So. Kids, this is a lesson. We don't go to Area 51 unless without parental supervision. That's the story. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's like it's crazy because we've been covering so much. That look. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I was like looking at my. So, you know. This is the thing that I, I, I want to try to be able to figure out. You know, we've talked earlier about how the cannabis industry was around in the 1800s until the marijuana law, law was acted in 1937 and then in 1969 when it became a substance one drug. Now, primarily, does it make sense to look at our past? You know, even like going back to the 1800s and seeing if the way that they were doing things things then can be adapted to now and maybe actually be beneficial. I think something, something in alcohol prohibition is something that uh, the cannabis industry is actually kind of trying to do as well during prohibition, alcohol, ethanol was uh, people were using like things to make their alcohol stronger they were adding in like stronger chemicals. What is the, it's, it's off the, it's on the tip of my tongue right now. Was that no, uh, methanol. I think they would add methanol into the ethanol to make it stronger, but that's, Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's called whites. Okay. It's called white spirits. They used to call it white spirits. It's like this very, very, very strong gin, like almost gin consistency. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting. It's the way to make alcohol that really you shouldn't be consuming it when it's that strong. It's kind of similar in cannabis, except for it's not having to do with the, uh, the strength or the potency of it. It has to do with the, the extract industry potentially having leftover chemicals in in smokable products 
which is of concern because there are different chemicals that can technically be used that some of them are okay. And then some of them, like you definitely don't want to be inhaling or having like other ingredients added to like a, like a vape cartridge. That was another big one. So, um, What do you mean specifically with vape vape cartridges? Let me asking. Oh, vape cartridges. Uh, they've. What was it? They they were saying it was like vitamin E. They they were saying so. They were saying it was cannabis cartridges, and Utah, from my understanding, took that and said that vape juice companies were also putting vitamin E oil into the vape, just like regular vape juices. And so they actually use the, uh, the THC stories on vape cartridges to change like vapor, uh, nicotine laws in Utah. Jesus Christ. Same time. That's crazy. Dude, that's insane. Yeah, pe- like pe- they, 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 I don't think they can sell 5% nicotine anymore. Like people are going into smoke shops, can't get 5% nicotine. All right, well, guess I'm going to go buy cigarettes again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy because I buy my vape products from, from Mike. And, you know, Mike, keep, <laughs> if Mike is curious, one of the biggest reasons why I still like buy from him, even though like, I can go somewhere else. I mean, I, I want to support him, but there's another reason too. A lot of the products he sells are not available in any of the stores that are near me. It's like this scarcity. And it's like, when was the last time you had these? Like, oh yeah. Like, like six months ago. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, this is, this is crazy. I don't understand this. This is just like, how do you expect anybody to have any products if you can't even deliver? And then on top of like that whole scandal with like diluting the cartridges, my God, how evil can, I mean, people can't be evil, but like how evil can you be? Mike, Mike. Oh no. Oh God. People. I think we might need to say our prayers. Yeah. We might need to say our prayers. For Mike, he was a, uh, was a brave soldier. I got too passionate. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll wait on a little bit until Mike comes back. I have no idea where he went. I hope the government did not um, push him around too much. He's, uh, he's primarily the thing. You know, we, we kind of have about another about another 10, 15 minutes to kind of cover. Uh, you know, one other thing primarily is important to talk to about if we're talking about the cannabis industry, specifically where we were and where we are, is research. You know, research has v- drastically changed. Wait. People, we might have a signal. Hold on. Wait. Eh. Okay. Uh, Research in regards to cannabis, correctly, has changed dramatically within the past, um, you know, since it's been legal, since it was 
uh, was illegal, sorry. Uh, primarily with the research that we have, what's the biggest thing that has changed? Hmm. Well, when... Oh, Mike's back. Wait. Did the government kill him? Oh, my God. Let's find out. Wait. No. Oh, he's still gone. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were saying? So, available, <sighs> available research. Yeah. Av- so, the, av- the available research today that's available is way different than, like, 2010 when I like first tried writing about cannabis my paper was it's drastically it's drastically increased in a very short period of time okay but it's not it's not necessarily like the allowable research that's the thing that's happening right good education is becoming more accessible but in that process of researching online there's so much information out there, but that's what's educating patients right now. People are going online. People are getting advice from other people, and that's where research takes place. It doesn't matter what research hasn't like is happening in the labs or whatnot. Like that just means that like corporations aren't allowed to like tell people this is definitely what it is, but like at the same time it's all over the internet of people telling other people what it is like cannabis like education people everybody's trying it everybody's trying to do cannabis education everybody has bits and pieces that are effective in helping patients but when that happens there's a lot of people that are either releasing news articles as research information that patients are listening to and like taking their word for it. And then there's like, like, Fox, like Fox news. Yeah. And then there's like, just like regular stoners that are spitting it and maybe they have great content, but like regular everyday people don't even want to listen to a stoner. Like they won't listen to a stoner because they don't like, their brain like turns off. Right. Even though I've been able to keep a completely logical conversation for the past hour, and I've been able to efficiently be able to stop and record button. You know, it's like, that's the whole thing. It's like, they killed him, man. Like that, that's what happened. They, they, God damn it. I told him not to go to area 51. Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the thing, you know, like, what we are faced with is this reality of your your oh you're you know like you're do you smoked weed oh you must be high you know like why aren't you high i can act high everybody wants me to but that's not that's not what cannabis is cannabis doesn't make you an idiot you choose to be the idiot something else that happens in that research process is people might be giving education and it makes sense to them because they under they like to them, it's worth the money, but there's a lot of people that are like trying to decide what they're going to do with their extra $50 for the month. And that's all they get. If they don't, if they aren't heavily convinced and they can't be taught how to make that $50, like 
actually like make a big difference in their health, they might not be able to, depending on does that $50 get them two joints that might not make a whole lot of a difference for them. So basically, so basically the quantity quantity is the issue. So it's basically of how much of your money are you getting? Cause a person could say is like, I'm spending so much and like, I'm really not getting too much. So why on earth? Like you're right. Like why a person would invest into it, but it's, you know, it's kind of like people need to know, like, this is how it is now. It's going to change, but like, don't give up on it. Like, just wait. We're yeah. waiting. God damn it. We're waiting, man. <laughs> we're waiting. It, it, prices will definitely come down. Like eventually the, the moment the world of people are allowed to grow and share with their community, it's done. Like the minute people who know how to garden can now just grow and educate their families and their extended families on how to dose themselves in cannabis anytime that they feel like it might be helpful, then great. And if you have questions about what that dosing should look like, as far as like for specific treatments, find a medical expert that specializes in specific treatments and also recommends cannabis. You know, one interesting thing where we don't really cover too much on this because it's not primarily the thing that most people think of is this idea of the perfect, I've heard this so many times, I have the perfect strain, and I only take this strain because this is the best strain. I've probably taken about 100 and, God, at least like 160 different strains by now. Seriously, just, I've tried them all. Not literally, I mean, there's thousands. But limiting yourself to only one type of strain that's literally cutting off your circulation completely because now you're closing yourself open to other possibilities. So I think it's also important to know is that like, just because you got that one strain, maybe it'd be a good idea to try out another strain and maybe have higher levels of cannabis, uh, not cannabis, sorry, CBD or um, lower levels of THC or vice versa or something else that you need. But that is also something that is important that, that needs to be discussed. So people do that. Jesus Christ. I hate it. I I would say on that note, a lot of that has to do with how people are culturally taught cannabis, which is like that indica sativa. You're going to be more awake. You're going to be more asleep. You're going to be more a certain type of way. And when it comes down to being an actual patient and consuming large amounts, you kind of have to just, live your life. And all of a sudden, all those stories just become nonsense when you actually just focus on what you need to start realizing in yourself while you're using cannabis. Everybody's. Yeah. It's, um, it's the weird thing where, Oh God. Oh God. Should we let him in? (laughs) It's not a trap this time. Uh, it's one of the things we're, you're mentioning on how you feel like with sativa, you know, you feel like you got more energy and with C, you know, with, uh, with indica, sorry, you feel more relaxed and more sleepy. I actually feel the same amount of sleepiness in both sativa and indica. 
I fall asleep the same way I fall asleep with Sativa. I fall asleep with Indica. The only thing I do not like about Sativa, which drives me nuts, is I'm a rambunctious moron. Like, I just drink and get silly. I'm just like, just a buffoon, like running around and just trying to have fun. And Indica kind of like does the opposite. I'm just like, okay, let's do this. Let's go. (laughs) So I have the opposite effect. You see, see, like that whole philosophy of sativa and indica. Uh, it's not. It, it's not that like you got to try both. And like again, they're not sativa and indica. That's just what the industry calls them. You got to like kind of figure out from the both of them which one works best for you. Well, I'm learning to choose. What what are if it's not more awake, more asleep for indica or sativa, what is it for you? Like when, when I smoke, I, I used to be like, I'm more asleep or more awake or I'm just like more altered was like how I would view it. Cause I, like, I would look at it as, Oh, this is like way more perceptionally different than alcohol. Because when I was young, like, it was such an abstract thing to me that like, I really didn't understand it. And then as I got used to it, like probably after the first year, I was no longer like, like you're, you can be normal on cannabis. It doesn't have to be like you're a high school kid. Every single time you smoke. Do you want to, you want to hear something crazy? I had a full lecture in Israel with a professor from Princeton full i was i took just give you an idea i took three joints and i hit a bong and i hit a shisha and i hit a hookah and i had a full like conversation with this guy and he like finished off he's like you know for a 19 year old you're quite intelligent and i said thank you sir i said one moment please can i grab your cheesecake (laughs) and like he's like excuse me He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just had a lot. Uh, like, I smoked a lot. And I'm, I'm just craving some cheesecake. He's like, wait, you've been high the whole time? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, damn. Damn, you generation are different. And I'm like, yes, we are. That's. <sighs> you you want to get really stoned? Go smoke with somebody who's brand new to smoking and loves it. Oh my god, I've done that. It's so much fun. Down a little bit, you you're used to it. Like you, you'll smoke a whole joint. Like you're chilling. Like you're good. And he's and he's stoned out of his mind. Five joints. No, I had um, I had a buddy. I had a buddy of mine. We were out camping in Israel. I, most of my stories are in Israel because I was there for quite some time. And we he never smoked cannabis before and a buddy of mine he brought like a bunch of joint he's like he's like oh man we we gotta like introduce you so we're like we're all sitting there in this campsite and we're like take the joint take the you know like this whole like ceremony thing like making a really big thing and like we all finished like maybe four or five joints this guy maybe finished like a half he was crazier than all of us and we're just like oh this is beautiful, but not crazy in a bad way. He was just like, like crazy on the guitar. He was like screaming his mind out. He was like, this is like just creative, like genius. And 
that's also something about cannabis that like is something important. You sometimes you make those connections. It's a, it's a good tool for creating moments in time that are very enjoyable. People choose it and they choose it over and over and over again. Yes. Mike, are you alive? Yeah. <gasps> Mike is alive. They didn't kill him. Woo! No. Oh, this is so exciting. I think, yeah, I figured out the problem, but it was a pain in the ass to deal with. So I missed about 15 minutes, but it sounds yes. like it sounds like it's going pretty good. Yeah, well, you were stuck in the control room with the German shepherds, and we were here like, what the hell happened over there? <laughs> Well, I mean, whatever you guys are on now, I mean, it sounds good. Weed is good. And it is interesting that people are choosing it. Every person I've spoken to over the years, when they compare it, they say, I don't, you know, we don't, we don't see people act, having the type of behavior they would, uh, they would normally see from someone who's drinking, They're, you know, drinking is so much more destructive. These are, these are the words of people that I have heard say this over a course of many years and when they reflect on weed they say weed never makes you act like that it's so much more enjoyable there's less harm if any uh when used appropriately uh and you know from each of your perspectives i mean it's uh those are fun and uh, and great moments that you've created when i reflect on my experiences with cannabis i realize that it made me more, uh, I want to say, a lot more, what's the word? Maybe more introverted. It, yeah. it provided a, a way for me to reflect in a different way. More in my own head. Yeah. Specifically why I don't necessarily get high and then do very specific kinds of work. Like doing the podcast high, I wouldn't. I'm stuck in my head thinking about what... David just said, and then really diving deep into it. I actually do that, believe it or not. When you're talking or David's talking, I still have it going on in my head, like in pieces. The, yeah. the, the weird thing for me also is I have a friend of mine out in California, and I'm actually going to be there in about a week. Um, I, I have where whenever I get on the plane, it's just really enjoyable knowing that I'm going to see her. Uh. And you know why that is? Because, you know, quite a few times that I've been there, we've had our smoking sessions. And then we get into like this mood of like, oh, my God, we should like watch the Golden Girls. And then we're like, we should do like Matt, like, and then we also have this whole thing. And it becomes so vivid. It's like as I'm going to the airport and as I'm getting through TSA, Jesus, and then I'm getting onto the plane. That's just like what's going on in my head. So it's kind of like this repeating aura of something. I don't know. Just something. Whatever clothes or fucking like shit. Whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You're already visualizing the experience before it happens. Because I know what happens. You kind of be you go in kind of go into the groove. Oh yes. I got yeah. to use it. Woo! Yes. One point for David. Yes. Thank you. That that groove is like th those moments in time, those those smoke talk, those sitting around the campfire, those times where like it's no longer surface conversation, and you really do start to like.
break things down for each other. Like people become like therapists for each other. Like that's community. That's helping each other. Like a lot of just human interaction in general is trying to benefit each other or trying to figure out how you can benefit from other people. But everybody's trying to like, one of my, I went on to a completely different idea, and that's I'm, that. That's all right. It's it's called human intuition. Um. Well, I, I started to think about just like the the different experiences that people do have on cannabis. Uh, I only, you know what? I, I should bring this up because I think it's important. I did have one bad experience, and um, primarily the reason for that was. Somebody told me a really horrific story. So <laughs> that was the uh, that was the only re- and the, the worst part is, is that because I was in that state of mind, I felt it more. You would really it, internalize that information. It, it, it hurt. Like well, it stung. I think I, I think, it, you know, in a lot of ways, when you're under the influence of cannabis, it can make you more empathetic than you normally would be without it. Um, and I think that's where, where David was talking about people can be there for each other on a different level. Um, you know, if they can actually break through the surface of general conversations and uh, when you really do a, a deep dive, uh, I feel like one-on-ones are usually a lot better with cannabis but if you're in a, in a social or a group setting, it's a little bit harder. I've never, you know, over the years as I've grown up, I, I have changed my opinion. Cannabis is not a party uh, product. Oh, God, no, it is not or, a party drug. I mean, if, if I, every person, has, it's, and it's rare, you know, to see the outliers who are more extroverts with cannabis. But majority, I'd say 95% of the time through all of my years, anybody at a party who's gotten super stoned is uh, couch locked most of the time. Yeah, when, I, you go to, when you go to a party, you need ecstasy. Okay, <laughs> that's what you need. Not, 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 not a cannabis. So, it's the so wrong substance. <laughs> all of this talk about like what we're kind of labeling the cannabis experience as that's culture. Like, like, yeah, we are more introverted, like as a cannabis industry consumers, but a lot of that has to do with the current culture that's out there. And so for instance, if you are smoking, you go to a bar, it's a different vibe than if you were to go to a cannabis bar, like cannabis could be social and it could be extremely social but because there is such they a- did oh i know you're okay i was reading about this in in the netherlands they built a they this is really cool they created a cannabis juice bar so it's a bar that you go to they have outdoor seating as well and they serve like you know like juices uh you know like superfood kind of concoctions and you sit there and you smoke cannabis and they have like a little reading nook area with benches so people can kind of sit there and read books and drink. I was like, oh, my God. So that would be amazing. Just like a quick afternoon, just like a little. 
paint night, art nights, uh, wine, wine nights, you know, wine and painting nights, like everything that like you could have video game competitions. Like, I mean, jujitsu does have uh, they have a four twenty tournament where all the competitors smoke right before their match. Like the way that cannabis can go into culture and really make a difference because once people start to integrate cannabis in ways that are healthy, instead of ways that are like creating a lot of like internal dialogue that we don't necessarily like for ourselves because cannabis does bring certain tendencies with the current culture that it sits in. When culture changes Cannabis changes with us. Like, I, we, I can definitely, I can definitely see a corner of more, what uh, more social. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. It, it's like I a, can see it being more social. I I don't remember if I left it in my book or not, but. I suggested for people who are learning cannabis and looking to build like conscious thought while they're stoned and to get comfortable with like regular conversation and stuff for people like actual patients that need to articulate on high doses, read, read while you're high and get used to it. And the comprehension on cannabis can be different. Normally when we're on cannabis though, like we're, like eating, watching TV. We're not necessarily like, like studying or focused. A lot of the younger generations might, might've grown up in school with weed. And then that gives them a completely, completely. Of course, Mike rolls, raises his hand. (laughs) Who else would raise his hand? Uh, I I did grow up that way. And uh, I can tell you, this is that it forced me to read paragraphs over and over again, but it, improved, it, it did improve my comprehension quite a bit under the influence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. My book, All Stoned, I tried to really insist on it. And then it just got to a point where I was just like, I can't be an author like that. Like, I, I have to give myself a break. Like, I really tried to, like, smoke more than I ever have and like tune into the book. And it, it, I'm, I'm a new writer. I shouldn't be trying to figure out how to write for the first time while I'm stoned. No, no, of course not. All right, guys, we have been talking and schmoozing. It's been great. We had fun and we got lost in the groove. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and being <clears throat> one of our many supporters. Like always, you can guys can check us out on Patreon slash Lost in the Groove. Catch you in the next one. Peace.